Hello everyone, welcome to Langstaff Assembly Podcast. My name is Yanaili Joyce and I'm your host for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you and that it draws you near to God. Thank you once again uh, for being here. Like I said, we're going to be reading in Psalm chapter 1. This is obviously the first book, first chapter of the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, if you're not aware, is divided up into five separate books. Um, each would have an introduction psalm, but this Psalm 1 isn't really doesn't really function as an introduction to the first book within the psalm, but an introduction to the book as a whole. And really, when you break it down, you'll see today it is quite simple. The psalmist is dividing up the whole population of the world ever to live into two categories, those who are righteous and those who are wicked. And how to live as one who is blessed. And this actually aligns very closely with the world we live in. They won't use these terms. They won't use the term sinner. They won't use the term wicked. They won't use the term blessed. But basically, our world and the way we have, have, have structured, and I say we in a general sense of society as a whole, is that how can we be successful? How can we be satisfied? How can we be happy? What can we do to create a good environment for ourselves? And the Bible tells us we are broken. We are not successful at doing that. But the the objectives of the world in that sense align with, with what the psalmist is talking about here. As well, just a general interest, interesting note. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is, is the, the sermon of Jesus, kind of his first and, and biggest and most popular sermon that he gives to a large group of people, it actually mirrors this psalm in a way. He starts off with saying, blessed are, and he gives the Beatitudes. This psalm starts off with blessed is the man, and then describes who that man is. And Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount with describing, describing what will happen with those who do not believe in God and those who are wicked. And the psalm ends in that fashion as well. And so we'll go through the psalm verse by verse, as I said. Slide number one says, blessed is the man who. And so right away, we are being given. You want to know who a blessed man, a blessed woman, a blessed person is. This is who they are going to be. And so it sets us up. Okay, let's describe, let's figure out, let's discover what a blessed man, who a blessed man is. You want to be blessed? Read this song. Now, the word blessed has been tossed around anywhere from a a superficial way of of using it, maybe on social media, saying hashtag blessed when describing um, the fact that you had pizza for lunch. Or some people may describe it in a deeper detail and and think of a, a circumstance in their life that truly represents blessing from God. This word really means fortunate happy and a more direct direct English translation of this word might be oh the happiness and so this is a a big thing and this isn't a superficial happiness this is a deeper happiness joy that actually speaks and refreshes the soul oh the happiness and so this is a big thing this man who is happy this woman who is happy this person who is fulfilled, satisfied, and fortunate. Not because they won the lottery, but because they are satisfied to their soul. So instead of going into this is who the man is, the psalmist takes an interesting turn and says this is who the man isn't. 
You want to know who the blessed man is? You want to know how to be blessed? This is how not to be blessed. And this is the next slide. And he says like this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so there's three lines there. And you'll see, I've tried to, to do it with different colors. There are three words in each line that actually correlate with each other. And there's a progression. And so the psalmist is saying, this is the person that is not blessed. This is the person that is not fulfilled in God. This is the person you do not want to be. And this is the progression. They're walking, they're standing, they're sitting. They're walking in the council. They're standing in the way. And they're sitting in the seat. And then it's the counsel of the wicked, more general, the way of sinners, more specific, and then the seat of scoffers, even more specific. And so this is not an accident by the author of Psalm chapter 1. This is a direct progression, something that is accumulating. And this is not by accident. This is actually a very true sense of how the world works, a very true sense of how the devil seeks to work in the people in this world. And the Bible is very clear. We would be fools to ignore it. We would be fools to live as if he didn't exist. The devil is direct opposition of God. Not equal to God, but in opposition to God. And he is actively seeking to persuade, to trick. The Bible describes him as someone who is seeking to devour, to consume, to distract, to destroy. This is something, and I've been... Often the Christian life can be presented as something that is, is positive, which, which it is, but something that you just kind of wake up and you, you absorb the blessings of God and you go about and live your day. But the, the Christian life is actually a battle. We do have direct opposition, and that is the devil who seeks to destroy, seeks to consume, seeks to distract, seeks to, to pull us away from what is good and consume us with what is bad. And often he camouflages those things that are bad as things that are good. And this is what he will do. And this is how I would like to describe it. You look at the first yellow words there. Walk, stands, sits. Someone that is walking. Someone that isn't really sure. You know, they're walking with a certain group of people. They haven't really committed to anything, but they're with them. And then they're standing. They've stopped. They're listening. They're observing. And then they're sitting. They're enjoying a meal. They're spending time with this certain group of people. And I'd like to look at it this way. There's, there's two ways. The second way, I'll, I'll get to it in a second. But these, this progression here in the second verse, or sorry, the first verse of this first song, there is first thinking, and then there is behaving, and then there is dealing with. Or better off, better yet, I like to think of it like this. The first one is an idea. Walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Counsel is something that, that someone tells you. Um, advice that someone may give you. The counsel of the wicked. This is an idea that can be in your mind. From that idea, the progression nor stands in the way of sinners. Now there's a behavior. An idea that bounced around in your head now becomes a behavior. And then thirdly, someone who sits in the seat of scoffers. This is now an identity. I belong with this group. You notice the specific sin that is mentioned is scoffing. 
Someone who scoffs is someone who thinks they are better than other people. And what is it really that draws us away from God? It is pride. Ultimately, what draws us away from God and what the devil would love to convince us of is that I don't need God. I don't need God. The greatest sin a man or woman could ever commit. And even the, greater, the, the worst thought a Christian could ever be convinced of, the day-to-day that I don't need God. And this is the thing that the devil seeks to convince everyone on this earth of. You don't need God. Wasn't that what he presented Eve with? Way back in the garden, the perfect garden that God created, and in comes the devil and the, 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 the I was going to say the shape of the serpent, the form of the, of the serpent, and says to Eve, Basically, you don't need God. Did he really tell you that? He's just worried that if you take that fruit, you'll you'll know everything. You won't die. The devil presents her with an idea. And that idea turns into an action. And that action turns into an identity. She takes the fruit and she becomes a sinner. And this is something that we have to be careful of for us. It is a a tool that the devil will use for those who aren't Christians, but it's also a tool that the devil will use with Christians. It's just an idea, something you you hear from a friend or something you see on social media or something you read or perhaps a thought that is boiling up inside of you because of something else someone has done. And it's just an idea, but that idea bounces around long enough and it becomes a behavior. It changes your action. And then your actions change enough that your behavior changes and all of a sudden it's an identity. And when you were once someone, you are now someone else. And you find yourself in the seat of scoffers, the seat of people who say, I don't need God. And I know I'm bouncing back and forth a little bit between the devil working to distract and consume those who have not believed in God and and to distract those who have believed in God. But I believe he does both. I believe he's actively seeking, and scripture teaches us this in 2 Corinthians 4, he's actively seeking to blind those who have not believed. That is to blind them from the truth. And those who have believed, he seeks to to distract them with other things that aren't important to, to, to prevent them from seeing God. And so here in verse number one already, the psalmist is saying, listen, you want to know about what a blessed man is. You want to know what it takes for a man to be blessed in the truest form, in the truest sense, as he was created to be. This is who you should not be. Careful of harmful ideas, because those ideas become can become behavior, and that behavior can become identity. There was a book I was given for Christmas by my brother-in-law. It was called Live No Lie. And the idea is, um, as Christians, we should be seeking truth. And as I was mentioning before, that the, the devil seeks to put lies into the minds of, of people, things that are untrue. And it's interesting, he brings out the point in the book that we as human beings are different from mammals and animals. And one of the biggest things that makes us different is we are able to live and think within the realm of non-reality. And so you think of an animal, a dog lives in reality. Right? That dog cannot imagine, cannot think outside of that reality within which that dog lives. I don't think. Right? I've never been in the mind of a dog. When you watch them, I don't think they're thinking of 
vacations and holidays in Mexico. I don't, I don't think that's, that's going on in their head. Whereas as human beings, we have the, the innate gift, the unique gift, that we can imagine things that are not real. And you're just used to it because we, we do it, but it's actually incredible. We can create things that were not, we can make them come to be. And obviously not in the sense that God created the world, but we can take materials and make something that was not. Animals can't do that. You say, well, birds can build a nest. And so, yes, there, there's maybe some, some, some uh, crossover there. But in, in a greater sense, we can live in a world that is not reality. We can imagine. We can dream. We can think up scenarios that maybe will never happen. That is unique inside us. And that enables us to create. That enables us to dream. That enables us to, to make art and make music. That enables us to be human beings in an incredible way that reflects the image of God. But also, our ability to, to think of and dream and live in things that are not real gives the devil an ultimate tool to whisper in our ears lies, things that are not true. And ultimately, we can then come to a point where we believe those lies and we live those lies. Lie number one being you don't need God. We can believe that. We can live in the reality of that. As human beings, we can, we can I mean, you can, you can go down the road in, in all different directions. But we must be careful as Christians to actively pursue truth. And this is something that has been just on my mind as of late, that this is not something, truth just doesn't fall on our laps and kind of we lie in our bed and truth just absorbs into our brain. It doesn't work like that. This is something that we actively pursue because we're human beings. Our hearts are, are wicked. We, we are sheep that just wander off. And so as Christians, we must be actively pursuing, and we'll get to that, the truth of God. And so first of all, a blessed man is not this thing. These things does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand in the way of sinners, does not sit in the seat of scoffers. But, and this is the next one, and I love often in the Bible, the, the authors of the Bible just have this stark contrast. Ephesians 2 is one of my favorites. This, but this. And so not this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And so instead of, of instead of, of, I've forgotten here, instead of walking, standing, and sitting, those are all things that are active. You're doing the opposite. You're seeking the law of the Lord. You're seeking to find your delight in that. And you're meditating. And we'll get to that, what that actually means to meditate. And so his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Speaking of the law of the Lord, Jeremiah 9, 24 says this, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight. That's the same word, delight. And so just as God delights in love, justice, and righteousness, we are to delight in his law. The same word is also used in Proverbs 31 when describing a, a, a righteous woman in the, uh, when it says that she works with 
willing hands. That's the same word, delighting in the law of the Lord, fully submitting, fully surrendering. And Psalm 19, we can, we can read verse 7 to 11. This describes the, the psalmist's attitude towards the law. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Gold maybe has kind of lost its value in our, our culture uh, more than it was in the past, but this is something that is of greatest value, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward. This is the attitude we are to have of the law of the Lord. And you think, Sam, what is the law of the Lord? That's kind of a, a term maybe we throw around. What, what, we are to meditate on his law. You search up the criminal code of Ontario. Is that, is that what we are supposed to be meditating on? Obviously not. Historically, this would, would probably be referring to the first five books of Moses. By extension, this would have been all of Scripture. The law of the Lord, what he sees to be right, who he is, his decree to his people. And so you think, the, the, so the, the people in the Old Testament, how could they meditate and delight in the law of the Lord? We read that the Paul tells us that the law condemns us. That when we look at the law, we see that we are condemned. We see that we fall short of God and his standard. And this is simply a picture, I believe, that, that could be expanded on more. But this is a picture that we see the, the awesomeness, the, the magnificence of our Lord Jesus Christ. That the only reason that we can truly delight in the law of the Lord is because the Lord Jesus Christ went to a cross and took our place. So that when God sees us, he sees us as righteous. And when we look at the law of the Lord and we see his great standard, we also see our Lord Jesus Christ and we see ourselves as righteous as well. And that's why we can delight in the law of the Lord. And so this is something that we should delight in, but also something that we should meditate in. And this term meditation, this term meditate has kind of been hijacked by our culture, um, has been hijacked by Eastern religion. And so our understanding normally of meditation is this, that I sit down, usually my legs are crossed, maybe my hands are doing this. That's kind of the classic interpretation of meditation. And meditation is this, that you sit there and you empty your mind of all things, completely empty it. And you do that as much as you can, and the more you practice it, the better you'll be. And you empty your mind of all things, until it just sits completely empty. And in that, you have peace. That's not this meditation. This meditation is actually the complete opposite. This meditation of the law of the Lord, this meditation of God himself, is not that you sit there and empty your mind of everything else. It's that you sit there and you fill your mind with him. And so again, this is an active thing. This is something you pursue. You fill your mind actively, which by nature empties out everything else, but you fill it with him. It's something that just doesn't happen naturally. And this is something that, that Mike brought up last week on Wednesday night as homework. 
Um, it's also something that, that just by coincidence was brought up in one of my classes last week. Last week, I'm taking a class on, on spiritual formation um, for the, the degree that I'm in the middle of. And something that they suggest and something that's been given us as homework is called Lectio Divina. And what that is, is it's a tradition that was first started and, and pioneered by the monks. And basically it's four steps. You read, you meditate, you pray, you contemplate. And it's almost the opposite of what we're doing this morning. It's not going through a verse and using exegesis to take apart every verse and look at the context and things like that. It's simply you just read and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And that's something, if we're honest, that's something that, that we hasn't been a strength of ours in, in the gospel hall, in the brethren church as a whole. That's just not, not one of our strengths. We have lots of strengths, but that's not one. And so it's this idea that you read it, you allow the word to speak to you, and you meditate on it. You focus on it. You fill your mind with that truth and allow that truth to consume you. And so that's the idea of this meditation. This meditation is not sitting there and just being like, I'm exhausted. I'm just going to lie here and rest and empty my mind and eventually fall asleep. That's not the idea. The idea of this meditation is I'm going to fill my mind with the truth of the Bible. I'm going to fill my mind with the truth of God. I'm going to read someone and I'm going to take one idea. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water and think that over and allow God to speak to me through his word. Meditation. And so the question for myself and the question for you is, do we meditate on the word of God? One of my professors this semester, he just actively says, he says, you know, those, those Bible in the year plans, I hate them. And you go, oh, wow, this is, this is extreme. But he said, for this reason, he says, often it's okay. What are we doing uh, January 23rd? Okay, read the six chapters, boom, done. Okay, let's go to work. He says, there's no time to meditate. There's no time to allow it to speak to you. And this isn't some mysterious process. This is actually how God speaks to us. And so often, speak for myself, I think it's true for a lot of us. So often we read, we read, we read, and we kind of hope that something sparks as we're reading through, right? And we kind of hope, oh, yeah, got, we got something, and we just go on our day. But so often, and I tried this for the first time because I had to for my class, and it was so difficult. We were, on, we were on Zoom. We're in person this week, but last week we were on Zoom, and so there was five of us in this breakout group, and someone read the passage, and we were just supposed to sit there and meditate on the passage, and it was impossible. Rosie was screaming in the other room, and I had my, my AirPods in with the noise canceling on, and I just, my mind was racing, and I could not focus, and it felt like there was a pinball in my head, and I could not focus. And so I said, Sam, this is something you're going to have to work on. This is obviously a weakness of yours, but this is obviously something you need to do, and I believe it's something that all of us as Christians need to do, to meditate. I've spent too much time on that. We'll move on. Next slide. <clears throat> This is the person who is blessed. <clears throat> this is how God describes him. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. And its life, its, sorry, its leaf does not wither. And so this person that is blessed is like a tree that is planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. And this is something, this is my, my favorite part of the psalm. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. This word planted, we know the process of planting a tree. I'm not, not in detail. I don't, you maybe do, but we understand. Trees, planted roots grow, nutrients and, and moisture gathered up through the soil and, and that grows. 
This tree is planted directly beside a stream of water, a source of water. This word planted, a, a more appropriate or a, a different way to translate it would be transplanted. And so it's the idea that yes, the tree is planted, but it's been brought from somewhere else. And this new location that it's in is more advantageous for its growth. And so as Christians, it's so important that this blessed man, this is me and you. If we are believers in God, born again Christians, we are this blessed man, blessed woman. We have been transplanted. We have been brought to ground that is richer. We have been brought to, brought to ground that is directly beside streams of, of running water. You think of Psalm 23, the idea of a shepherd bringing you to cold streams of water. This is the idea here. You've been transplanted. It's not just, oh, you know, just by chance I landed right beside the stream of water. So we've been purposely planted directly in this location from a location that only had death and destruction. Ephesians 2 describes us as dead, unable to do anything, brought into life. That's the idea here. Transplanted. And then this idea of streams of water. You think of the context. In the Middle East, it's quite possible that a stream of water could run dry. This term here used for streams of water is, is more accurately translated an irrigation canal, which simply means that there have been actions taken so that water is purposely directed in this area and that source will never die. And so it's not just by chance, you know, based on relying on, on the, the nature cycles and the water cycle and all of this. This is a purposeful action planted by a canal that water is being directed to constantly that will give you life. There is purpose. This is not an accident. There is purpose in this idea. Planted by streams of water, he is like a tree. And then this next part, it yields its fruit in its season. What do you think of when you think of a healthy tree? I can imagine you're imagining a tree with leaves, possibly fruit, a tree that is blossoming, a tree that provides shade. It's very interesting here. The psalmist says nothing about quantity of fruit. And I, I, I deeply believe, and I think it's, it's a, a big problem, that so often as Christians, we can be consumed with the idea of just productivity. The psalmist very specifically says here, it yields fruit. Yes, we are to bear fruit as Christians in its season. God is not concerned with general productivity. He is more concerned with things that he has created us to do. And for me, that's almost a revelation and something that I, I, need, I probably will need to work through my entire life because as a young Christian, I just wanted to do, 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 do. And then I got, I, I got married and had children and it almost felt like that, that part of my life was being strangled. It's like, I can't do these things. I'm too busy. And the Lord through different people and through the reading of scripture was very basically saying, listen, you don't need to do all those things. You love your family. And you do what I've called you to do. Yield fruit in its season. God's timing is perfect. 
And I can give examples from my life, and you can give examples from your life. I have no doubt in my mind where God's timing has aligned and brought a, a perfect will of God into your life. And you look back and you think, that's amazing. And yet there are times for all of us where that's very difficult to see. It's very difficult to understand the seasons of God. It's very difficult to understand his, his perfect timing. And yet this psalm gives us a brief illustration. Yes, this tree yields fruit, but in its season. In its season. A healthy tree produces fruit when it's supposed to produce fruit. If a healthy tree has 50 apples, there's no benefit for the tree to have 500 apples. A healthy tree produces fruit when it produces fruit. And I had some illustrations here, but another lesson I'm learning is that you need to be a better, more responsible with time. But that's for another another day. I just, just ending with this, um, I won't go into the illustration, but just getting back to the idea that, that, that we can fulfill God's will in fulfilling what he has called us to do. And that's a process in figuring out what he has called you to do. But the ultimate goal and the ultimate fulfillment for us in life as Christians is to do that. Not to do everything. Not to do what he's called someone else to do. And that could be something so small. I often think, and, and with this I'll probably close. We won't get to the rest of the song, but that's okay. I've told this story before, but I often think, and it, it, it really has shaped at least my thinking. Unfortunately, not really my behavior as of yet. But a young man named DJ, who my mom went to teacher college, teacher's college with, and she grew up in a Catholic home. She wasn't a Christian. She was dating my dad, and he had left. He had walked away from God. And it was this man's goal, and he was only 23. He was a young man. And it was his goal to share the gospel with everyone in his class. There's about 25 people. And so he did that. And he gave my mom a Bible. And my mom went home. She read that Bible and she got saved. She became a Christian. She became a, a born-again believer, a, a believer in God. She understood for the first time what Jesus did for her on the cross. And you say, you know what, Sam? I mean, depending on which road you go down, predestination, she would have been saved either way, even if DJ didn't. I mean, you could go down that road, right? No. God called that young man. just to talk to everyone in his class. That's pretty small. I mean, it takes some courage, but that's pretty small. Because of that, she was saved. My dad came back, and, and they were able to raise a Christian home. They weren't perfect. My grandmother, the only reason she ever came out and heard the gospel was because my mom was in a Christian home. My Uncle Joe, one of the main reasons he became a Christian, and he's gone now. He's in heaven. Was that because there was a Christian family that was his sister? And I'm sure in heaven that I'll just be able to see maybe someone else in that class got saved. And it's, it just seems like something so small. And yet it was something that God called him to do. And through that, God does amazing things. And so, yes, as Christians, we are to bear fruit. But it doesn't have to be all the fruit in the world. It doesn't have to be all kinds of fruit. It can just be those little crab apples they used to throw at people at school, right? It can be, it can be anything. 
God has called us to certain things and we are to do those things. And so let us meditate on his word and figure out what he has called us to and with courage actively seek to do those things. And so I'll just read the rest of the psalm and then we'll close in prayer. And I really hope, I really hope this has been an encouragement. It's really a simple psalm, but it's so profound. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither. Just because it doesn't always have fruit. You see there, the psalmist includes that. Its leaf does not wither. There's always life. There's always life. Just because there's not fruit doesn't mean there's not life. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. And I was going to go into the end of the psalm. Something that may trouble you in the psalm is that maybe it doesn't seem realistic. Maybe it doesn't feel like you're prospering. But Psalm 73, the psalmist deals with this. He says, you know, well, Lord, why are my enemies prospering? And then he says, but I stepped into your sanctuary and I saw their end. Perspective. Coming into the presence of God gives us perspective. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Hey, thank you so much for listening. What a privilege it was to share God's word with you today. We pray that you were fed, strengthened, and more equipped to run the race with perseverance. To listen to more podcasts like this, make sure to subscribe. For more content from Langstaff and to connect with us, go to langstaffassembly.com. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you next time.